Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sheikh Ahmed Al-Azari. You're most welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum, Siri, uh, Paul. Jazakumullah ta'ala khair for um, hosting me. Alhamdulillah. It was delightful to have you uh, as a guest, sir. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Sheikh Ahmed is a researcher in Islamic intellectual history, a teacher of Islamic traditional sciences, and the founder of the Miftar Academy. Uh, the Academy offers specialized curricula in Islamic psychology, Islamic philosophy, and Islamic philosophy of education. Besides teaching at various academies around the world in both Arabic and English, he serves as a visiting fellow at the Tabar Foundation. His work uh, is centered on addressing contemporary philosophical challenges through the lenses of the Islamic tradition. Very important thing, I think. He has contributed to research projects that explore the relationship between Islamic thought and modernity. He's devoted, uh, he is devoted to developing philosophical and spiritual frameworks that model an Islamic response to existential questions in our contemporary world. And today, uh, Sheikh Ahmed has kindly agreed to discuss perhaps how to address uh, modern challenges to Islamic belief, especially those that can cause intellectual doubts. So over to you, sir. Jazakumullah ta'ala khair and uh, alhamdulillah, I am honored and blessed um, being with you today uh, at Blogging Theology. And um, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that um, this episode uh, be beneficial for all of us in this world and the hereafter. Allahumma ameen and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us facilitation and sincerity. Um, so let me, you know, allow me to begin, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, today's discussion. Um, through uh, sharing an, an experience that I had addressing this, addressing this very topic. Um, previously, I taught a course at Seekers Guidance um, titled Answer to Modernism. It was based on uh, Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanavi's work, um, which is translated to English under the title Answer to, Answer to Modernism. And uh, it is considered by some to be one of the first, if not the first, response to modernism that is written by a traditionally trained scholar and 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 this is something that ought to be ought to be highlighted um yeah. Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanavi didn't receive a um a a, a a a modern education sort of speak 
Um, and and um, for this particular reason, I believe that his work, um, uh, though now you know some might see it not as relevant as it you know as when it was written, but um, one can model an answer or one can model an approach rather through um, uh, through his work. So he the way he started his you know the the way he structured his book. Um, he did a preface which includes a mention of three deficiencies that he sees um, uh, that Muslims are suffering from in today's world. Right. Um, and we're talking almost about a, a century ago um, right. that this was written. And then he moves from, from there to uh, two introductions, basically. An introduction that is, that is based on the classification of, of sciences. And I'll, I'll speak shortly, inshallah about the relevance of, of this, this subject or this concept of classification of sciences and how, how it's relevant um, in, a, um, in a composition or in, a, uh, in, in modeling an approach. If a traditionally uh, uh, theological approach to uh, uh, contemporary doubts and the, the relevance between the classification of sciences and, uh, and uh, the response to doubts. And then... Mm -hmm. The, the second introduction is basically seven principles or seven guiding principles, uh, as he would call them. And then the rest of the book are basically applications of these principles. Um, and let me just add one more thing about the structure of his book. He mentioned at the end of the, at the, end of the preface is that he said, I didn't follow a, um, a, part, you know, the, like a, a sequential structure that is based on you know, the traditional division of theology where, you know, there is ilahiyat, nubuat, and sam'iyat. Um, he said it's more related to subject matters or questions that were, um, that were pressing during his time. And he, and he thought, you know, as, as he says, this is more attractive to the contemporary reader, um, which that gets us to another issue, which is the presentation of theological responses in modern times and in, in the contemporary world and how it ought to be and how it ought to be done. So let me just go quickly through the three deficiencies and then move on to the classification of sciences. And if you have any questions, you know, while, while I'm doing that, you know, please feel free to, to pose yeah. them, inshallah. Um, so the three deficiencies that he, that he mentions, um, and, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing his words. These are, the titles mm. are from, from, my, from my side. The first deficiency is basically a lack of understanding of the contemporary intellectual doubts and their impact on beliefs. The second is compound ignorance pertaining the type of knowledge that modern man carries. And the third, a, the, refu it, it, the third is basically refusing and confusing, refusing religious authority and confusing mentorship with, with blind following. And, you know, in the, in the first deficiency, um, you know, he says, he says that, you know, the religious doubts are spiritual ailments. He says, he says, Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate 
What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Yet you do not regard them as ailments. Basically, he's saying that um, people are basically numb towards what we can call the, the, you know, their spiritual suffering or their spiritual pain. I remember, let, let me share, share just a, a quick anecdote with you. You know, mm. um, you know, a few months back, I, you know, I, I had some toothache and I, I went to, the, to a, a, a dentist um, and he's a, um, he's a, a Christian Egyptian, a, a neighbor of my mother-in-law and, and he's the, has been the dentist for, you know, my in-laws for, for many, many years. And I, you know, when I, when I entered, you know, I told him, look, I come to you after a, a, a long period of suffering and I'm, and I'm resisting to, to come to you because of a, of a childhood trauma that I had wow. um, with, a, uh, with a, a relative who was a dentist. And, uh, I, you know, as a child, you know, this is your uncle so-and-so and, you know, don't make him mad. So... <laughs> Um, so I was in pain as a child when he was, you know, doing the procedure, but I couldn't say anything. And until since then, I didn't want to go to a dentist whatsoever. So anyways, um, so when I was telling him that he looked at me and he said, you know, Ahmed, pain is a great blessing from God. Wow. And, you know, when he said that, I paused and he said, you know, because imagine you never felt the pain. Mm, mm, the mm. disease would you know would grow inside of you <clears throat> and you would only know it when you have no time to treat it mm, mm. and it was it was just you know it was like mind blowing to me i felt it was like a i felt it was like a spiritual lesson that i learned mm-hmm. and um you know i was saying to myself subhanallah this is this is something that i that i can use you know in in my life generally not just physically right and then looking back at maulana shafi tahanavi this is what, what, what he was saying basically at the first deficiency, that people are not realizing, Muslims, laymen, general public, they're not realizing the effects of the intellectual doubts. And you could say also the, the, the modern philosophies that permeate throughout you know, what, we, you know, what, what we can call belief systems or um, uh, uh, foundational positions or perspectives or worldview that people have and they don't realize that these sort of modern philosophies started to be weaved within their you know their minds and intellects without realizing yeah so usually when theologians speak about the importance of kalam and the study of creed and so on and so forth people are not really realizing the importance of that because as Maulana Ashfali Tahanabi he says, you know, people are not treating, if people realize that intellectual doubts are like spiritual ailments, then they will treat it as physical ailments. So they mm. will seek a doctor, a physician, yeah. Yeah. and they will seek treatment. Otherwise, they won't. <clears throat> um, and then, you know, this, the, the second deficiency that, that, he, um, that he mentions um, is that people 
right, you know, nowadays they have an absolute confidence in their own opinion and judgment and assume that nothing can be wrong with, with their way well, of thinking. Uh, to be fair, I mean, people are taught to think like that in schools in the West. You're taught, you know, the individual, the autonomy, your own opinion uh, right. is really important. And my, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Uh, postmodernism and the relativity uh, and there's no objectivity so th th it, everything conspires to make this uh issue a problem really which you're correctly highlighting i think right right and and um all this is also tied to individualism on on one side and uh, and and uh, um you know moreover the problem the problem also happens when this not only turn not not only present in the form of you know people adhere to a uh, to relativism without realizing but also the problem is that when it becomes in the a, a manifestation of expressive individualism mm -hmm. where they or they start you know not only having this relativism you know for themselves but they start sort of imposing it um on others as well meaning you, 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 and you find that in, in, in some circles of, of in, in Muslim communities where you find certain uh, individuals when they when they find a scholar or any or just any Muslim speaking about absolute realities of the deen, they start attacking them. You know, you're not there's nothing that is absolute. Mm, so mm. it's not that they hold relative relative positions you know, to themselves, but they want others to also hold relative positions as well. So it turns into more of a, an expressive individualism. Mm -hmm. um, so, so this is, uh, that, that was the, the, the second. And, and if I, if I, if I, if I would add something also to the, to the second deficiency mm. is that um, people are also not realizing that the type of, the type of knowledge that they, that, that they, that they carry. And, and what I mean by that. Um, you know, if you if you if you, if you speak to Muslim engineers, Muslim teachers, I'm, I'm not and I'm not generalizing, but I mean, this is something that is very prevalent, pre pre prevalent. And it is something that I experienced myself firsthand in discussions where you find teachers, engineers, um, uh, college professors and so on and so forth. When you speak to them about epistemology, um, there is almost a lack of understanding of what epistemology is further on the 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 sources of knowledge sort of speak in the you know according to the to islamic philosophy or to the muslim point of view and then the type of information which they would call knowledge that they that they hold in confusing information um with knowledge and i mean we can speak about that later on inshallah in in a broader um, respect if you'd like, but this is also something that um, that I see it um, an offshoot of the of the second deficiency, mm -hmm. and then the the third deficiency um, is that there is a there is a reluctance of uh, uh, adhering to a, um, a a a framework of mentorship or guidance or what people nowadays would call um, uh, would call religious uh, religious authority. Um, it is, you know, usually seen as, uh, uh, this is a form of patriarchy and, uh, and, and they usually confuse it with, with blind following. And, uh, you know, it's a, you know, in relation to what you were saying earlier, you know, it, people would, would, 
normally they would accept a, uh, a, 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 a scientific authority, um, a science authority. Uh, now, are, now people are, you know, they're, they, they think that they're running from religious dogma, but then they're falling into a scientific dogma in a sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, from a religious indoctrination to a scientific indoctrination, in a sense. Um, so there's a, there is a lack of understanding of the, the, the meaning of mentorship or guidance. Um, and, and this is the, the third deficiency, according to Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanavi. Um, he does, you know, it, it, is, it is established that. It's interesting, by the way, uh, when you're saying this, he is writing, what, a century ago, because this sounds, what you're saying is very contemporary, and of course you're vocalizing it in a contemporary context, but the trends and the the issues that he elucidates and you you explain are clearly uh, been around for a long time, at least a century. Correct, correct, exactly. Um, uh, What I wanted to add on the third deficiency is that, you know, blind following, theologically speaking, is reprehensible. Um, this is something that is established in pretty much all of the theological works, um, the traditional ones. Um, and the role of religious authority basically is to is to guide. And then finally, um, you know, the it's a um, it's part of human nature. I mean, parenthood, whether you call it parenthood, you call it, you know, guardianship, you call it mentorship. This is a a universal concept um, to to the to the human nature. So. Um, religion is is not an exception. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So these are the we, three we deficiencies. I mean, we we sorry. We 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 trust our doctors. We don't um, try and acquire medical knowledge and judge whether or not the doctor is an expert. We we rely on him or her to give us that expertise. And our right. other fields, like an accountant or a scientist or whatever, we we rely on specialist experts and we trust them because they're qualified. And 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 you know the, the same obviously applies also with suitably qualified Islamic scholars in in, in hadith or fiqh or whatever that uh, we, we should have due. But it's not blind in the sense of come what way we just trust them randomly. That it's presumably there's suitable people who are qualified, have have a recognised status and authority to teach and to impart knowledge and wisdom i suppose correct and 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 and, you know i think one of the reasons that this um this divorce happens that Mm. you know that we accept um uh experts in you know medicine engineering economics finance you name it but then when it comes to religion that is not really accepted and the reason you know this this particular deficiency is related to the first introduction that uh, Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanabi has in his book, which is on the classification of sciences. Because mm-hmm. the modern view of, of, of religious studies, you would call them, or religious science, that they're not sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and therefore, they're sort of excluded from the, uh, from the modern classification of quote-unquote sciences. So Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanabi, right after he speaks about the, the, the third deficiency in the preface, he then delves into a classification of science. Right. And, and you know, let me here, before presenting his, um, um, his own breakdown, um, which is a, a traditional one, um, point out to the following. You know, the, this, is, this is what, you, what we can see in front of us. This is the, the classical hierarchy of sciences. Um, and this has been there for many ages, centuries, basically, mm-hmm. whether in the Islamic tradition or even in the 
other, you know, uh, Christian tradition, whereas metaphysics is called the queen of the sciences. I notice in you are saying exactly. the mother of the science. Hey, the same idea, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, and and then every science earns its subject from the from metaphysics. Mm. Uh, yeah. All sciences lead to also all sciences lead to metaphysics. Basically, if you trace any issue in any science, it can be traced back to its metaphysical foundation. Now, on the other hand, the modern hierarchy of sciences is that metaphysics is taken out; it is marginalized. Philosophy is is denigrated. It, it is it is something that. You know, uh, you know, and 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 you know, in the West, maybe things are a little bit different. Um, but you know, I was having this conversation with one of my teachers two days ago, um, and we were at a public event, and he was speaking about the importance of philosophy and so on and so forth. And there was a a bunch of of college professors. Um, yeah. uh, 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 their field is education, right? And when he speaks about the about the importance of philosophy and that empirical sciences are vanni, they're looking at him when he, you know, when he uses the word philosophy as if, as if it's an ugly world, a word. It's as if it's an ugly word. And even though they hold PhDs, right, <laughs> they don't realize that the, you know, there's a, you know, that they are philosophers of their field supposedly. Um, so the the modern hierarchy of of, of sciences marginalizes metaphysics, um, and the ultimate knowledge is basically just to discover the how and the relation of the, the relations of the natural world. Um, and then, the, you know, the understanding of the world is reduced to numbers. And, and, and this is also a reductionist view of, of, math, of mathematics. Yeah. Um, so this is the, the, the modern hierarchy of sciences. Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanavi, if you wish me to, you know, if you wish that I, that I delve into that, he provides a, a traditional... Um, a, a traditional hierarchy of uh, uh, of sciences. He does a, a a little bit of a comparison between, you know, the breakdown of the Islamic philosophers in comparison to, in a sense, to to uh, Muslim theologians, um, um, especially when it comes to the um, uh, to the practical philosophy more than theoretical philosophy. Um, uh, so let me know if you if I could proceed with that. Please, or if definitely. you have no, no, okay. I, I, I leave that to you to decide. Uh, it's fascinating. Okay. Um, so basically, Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanavi, um, he and and by the way, he speaks about the classification of sciences in two places. One in in Al Intibahat Al Mufida, which is answer to modernism, and he also speaks about that in um, a, a treatise of his um, that is included in a compendium called At Talhisat uh, Al Ash. So he has um, uh, he has a treatise in, in that compendium called Turus uh, Ashara, and it it discusses the classification of sciences. So the classification of sciences that he provides is the traditional, you know, division of basically of philosophy um, or al hikma um, that there's theoretical philosophy al hikma nazariya and then practical philosophy al hikma al amaliya, and then the theoretical philosophy. Um, it has al-ilm al-ilahi, and it has the al-ilm al-riyadi or uh, uh, mathematics, and then it has al-ilm al-tabi'i. Um, the practical philosophy has the ethics or al-akhlaq, which is a you know uh, ethics of, of virtue as as we would call it, 
um, economics or tadbir, which is household economics. And then, you know, from that, by analogy, they speak about the economics of, 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 of communities or, or societies. And then also, and then they speak about politics or siyasat al-mudun. Um, let me, you know, since we're speaking about that, um, and also, of course, metaphysics would break down into general metaphysics, which is ontology and then the special metaphysics. Let me now touch upon something which is very, very important. Um, um, and before I analyze, you know, the, this hierarchy that is found in front of you, one of the challenges I believe that that Muslim theologians are facing nowadays is a um, remember remember what we were just saying about philosophy became an, an ugly word, uh, something that people resent in a sense. Yeah. Um, this sort of uh, uh, disease, I don't, I don't know if maybe this word is too harsh, you know, for some, but I mean, this disease sort of affected even some of the contemporary theologians where they sort of ignore the, the evolution of theology that happened in the Muslim tradition. Um, Pure theology remained um, uh, uh, to be studied at Al-Azhar Sharif, at different madrasas in, you know, in the, in the, in the, you know, in West Africa, in Morocco, even in the subcontinent, though they have a, they have a different sort of gradual approach to theology, different than, you know, what is, what would be taught at Al-Azhar and maybe different also than, you know, what be taught at the, you know, through the, the scholars of Asham and so on and so forth. But generally speaking, regardless of, of how they order the study of these sciences, at the end of the day, there's, a, there's an agreement on the, or a consensus that theology evolved to become more of philosophical theology. And you would find works like Tawali' al-Anwar, for example, by al-Baydawi, which is a philosophical theology work. You find the book Al-Mawaqif by Adul al-Din al-Iji, philosophical theology work. Um, Al-Maqasid by Taftazani, philosophical theology work. These works were, were studied unt until, you know, you could say the 18th, 19th century were heavily studied. Um, and then they started to sort of fade away, um, to gradually fade away. Until, you know, now we have pockets of, of contemporary theologians who sort of resent philosophical theology. And um, I cannot, you know, I cannot see that this is not related to modernism. Mm. Um, they, they wouldn't say that this is based on modernism. You know, they would quote certain theologians, which is true, by the way, certain theologians who were against the, the, the merge of philosophy with theology. Um, but, you know, the, 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 these voices in the tradition were basically marginal. I mean, if one, to, if one to, would want to hold these positions now, you know, one is basically, you know, is, is, you know, going against the clock in, in a sense, you know, you're, 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 you'd be, you know, you're uh, talking out, outside of time, <laughs> you know, not realizing what, what actually took place in history. Um, so theology evolved into philosophical theology. Now, why is this important? 
And I had conversation with, with conversations with some of the rena renowned uh, um, theologians in the Arab world about some of the some of the uh, uh, pressing questions that face Muslim theologians nowadays. And I'll give you an example. Mm. So, so for example, I spoke to one of the theologians about the, you know, with that, you know, the, the, there should be a tajdeed or a renewal of ilm al-kalam to include subjects like, um, what is the Muslim view of the environment or nature? His response was, this is a fiqhi issue. Not a kalami issue, not a theological issue. And when he when he when he answered my question in, in, in that way, I realized that you know this is connected to his sort of repulsiveness when it comes to philosophy. Because it's a philosophical question. It's not it's not a I was not asking about a particular conduct. I'm speaking about more of a more of a worldview and where does nature fit in a Muslim worldview. And this is the role of a Muslim philosopher. But there are Muslim theologians who sort of resent serving that role, being a theologian but also being a philosopher. And that sort of departure between philosophy and theology or this divorce between the two is something that is, uh, um, um, you know, goes against, as I said, the evolution of, of both philosophy and theology in the tradition. Mm -hmm. um, so it's quite interesting that Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanavi, when he started to speak about the classification of sciences, he began with the philosophical breakdown. Yes, he mentioned afterwards that you know practical hikmah has a different; they have different ordering and structuring when it come when you when you when you apply Sharia to it. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't that doesn't cancel out the entire classification of the. Uh, of the sciences, let alone that he himself, Mawlana Ashraf Ali Tahanavi, he did a he did a summarization or abridgment of Hidayatul Hikmah by Athiruddin Abari, and and he also did a critique of it. But the point is that it this this is a book that was studied, that he studied, and and uh, you know was studied at you know in in in, in India, and Hidayatul Hikmah by Athiruddin Abari was actually written to be a substitute of uh, Ibn Sina's Al-Isharat wa Tanbihat. This was the intention of Athiruddin Abhari when he wrote Hidayat al-Hikmah. And uh, just to you know, conclude this, uh, you know, this segment in a sense, you know, one of, uh, one of our, our friends, uh, Sheikh Abdul Hamid al-Turkumani, um, who he mentioned, he mentioned before that one of his teachers, was a, if I recall correctly, was, was, was approached by one of his students what a question about about a matter in Sharh al-Aqaid al-Nasafiyya by Taftazani, of course. So the teacher asked the student, he told him, did you study al-Maybudi on Hidayatul Hikmah? So the student said, no. He said, then how come you, how come you think you're going to understand Sharh al-Aqaid? Hidayatul Hikmah, that's a philosophical work. And he saw it as a prerequisite of, a, of Sharh al-Aqaid al-Nasafiyya, which is a theological work. And this is totally different from what we're seeing now, where there's a, a delaying, if not a, a, a hidden resentment of philosophical theology. Um, and a, 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 you know, uh, uh, 
a, a reluctancy, you could, one could say, to, to delve more into or to encourage students of theology to delve into uh, a serious study of philosophy. Um, should okay. I? No, it yeah. kept please, uh, proceed. Very interesting. Yeah. So um, I wanted to also mention um, this is so, this is just a, a, a marginal issue, um, but it, it's it's a it's a matter of interest for me, and and it does relate to the subject, um, but I, I think it's very important to mention. Um, you know, since we spoke about philosophical theology, you know, philosophical theology follows the, the, the this this the the order that you um, that you see here. Um, they begin with <clears throat> epistemology, which usually includes also a summary of of, of logic, um, and then they move from epistemology to general metaphysics. Um, um, you know, ahkam al wujud, and then. They speak about tabi'iyat, natural philosophy, and then they return again to special metaphysics. This is, for example, the order of al-mawaqif that, 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 that I just presented, which is, by the way, different from Ibn Sina. Because when you look at Ibn Sina, he starts with logic, doesn't include epistemology, by the way. Um, and, and that is for, for you know, this is, this is a big question about, you know, the relationship between logic and, and philosophy. But anyways, he begins with logic and then he moves from logic to natural philosophy and then from natural philosophy to general metaphysics and then from general metaphysics to special metaphysics. This is different than the, than the ordering of the, of the philosophical theology where they begin with, with, the, with the general metaphysics and then they move from the general metaphysics to... Um, to natural philosophy, and then they return again to special metaphysics at the end. Um, uh, this, this is perhaps because of the theological uh, background, <laughs> um, you know, where theologians, their, 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 their underpinnings when they address philosophy is different than the, the underpinnings of the, uh, of the philosophers, and that is manifested, that is reflected in how they structure the, the mabahith, the, the issues um, mm. of philosophy. Um, this is why we cannot categorize al-maqasid or al-mawaqif or al-tawali' to be a philosophy work because it's not structured as a philosophy work. I think there's a slight danger here if we use too many Arabic terms. We're going to lose a lot of people uh, because we're not not all of us are specialists in, in these okay. subjects. Um, but is it possible to give practical examples that we can that are relevant that we can latch on to in terms of contemporary uh, challenges to uh, Islamic uh, beliefs and Islamic tradition that that what we can kind of uh, uh, bring the, these issues to bear could we do that yeah, sure yeah. sure um so 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 for example i mean we, we just spoke about a hierarchy where, where that includes yeah. epistemology general metaphysics yeah. natural philosophy and then and then and then special metaphysics you know if we take one by one so when we come to epistemology where we yeah. define where, where we define knowledge so questions for example about what is information versus knowledge versus wisdom for example Right. Um, uh, um, what does it mean to know something? The layers of knowledge, um, the sources, or what we can, what we can, what we can, uh, we can what we can call uh, as a as an evidence, uh, as a supporting evidence for one, um, you know, who claims or has a proposition that I know so and so, or that so and so exists. Mm -hmm. um, so in a way that in a way we would support a claim, any sort of claim, right? So when you support a claim, you need an evidence. So what constitutes an evidence? 
And what are the requirements for claims? Uh, apologies. What are the requirements for evidence that would support certain claims? So, for example, a claim about um, about the human existence, about the nature of human existence, about the beginning or the lack of, you know, uh, contingent or originated existence. Right? These these sort of these sort of claims they require certain evidence. Right? Um, um, the meaning of, for example, also when we, when we say that when someone says, you know, I know something, well, what is the degree of that knowledge? In a sense, are you certain? Um, is there a margin of error where, where we would call in Arabic one? Um, or is there a sort of a, 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 um, a tie, where, which we would call, you know, terminologically shek, which can be translated as doubt. But shek here is basically a... Um, a, a, a state of in, in which one cannot um, uh, cannot tell if something can be a or b for example but this is this is a very you know casual um, explanation of it um, so we, we nowadays we have questions about um, Muslims have questions about uh, 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 for example the relationship between science and religion Hmm. And science has, there are modern scientists who are making claims about religious beliefs. For example, yeah. wh wh whether claims about um, the, um, the why of existence or whether claims about, um, uh, about the beginning of existence or whether uh, claims about the existence of God um, so these sort of these sort of claims that are now made by or that are now claimed by modern modern scientists these sort of claims they affect epistemology they're they're treated you know the underpinnings of these claims the foundations of these claims they they stand on epistemological positions. Well, so, 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 so what, what 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 are these claims based on then that are to to make them explicit? What would they be? So the, these claims are, as I, as I was saying, they're they're based on certain epistemological positions. So um, and and sometimes a confusion of these epistemological positions. So, for example, when it, mm -hmm. if, if if there is a you know some of the you know the 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 you know the uh, I would say you know atheist uh, extremists who sort of make scientific claims about philosophical positions. Um, and they try to use science to um, uh, to make these sort of they try to, to make these sort of positions. So they they usually either not present the epistemological underpinnings of, of their positions, or they just skip them. So and so they can speak. Come so interrupt. Can we just give a specific example sure. of an actual claim that's made by an atheist, which has philosophical baggage attached to it, very much so, uh, and that it needs to that we need to unpack this and and examine what's really going on here philosophically and the implications for theology and how the Islamic tradition can engage that. Okay, let, let me give you a, a very clear yeah. example. And uh, maybe we shift a slightly from, from, um, from special metaphysics to, to ethics, for example. So you have, for example, Sam Harris in The Moral Landscape. Right. right. He so tried Sam, Harris is, Sam Harris is an American, was he neuro, neuro, a neuroscientist? neuroscientist. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Often on YouTube, yeah. Yeah. So in the in the moral landscape, he he basically tries to provide um, or tries to present that science can be the source of 
um, uh, ethical or moral judgment. Right. right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, the way he the way he tries to present this, he says science can make claims about well-being. Right. So if science can make a, a claim about well-being, therefore, what can, what can lead uh, or what leads to well-being is morally accepted. What contradicts well-being is not morally, um, is not morally, is not morally accepted. So he tries to use science as a, um, um, a, 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 as a substitute of, of religion. Now, by the way, you know, Richard Dawkins, for example, refuses that. You know, he, he, he doesn't see that, that science can play that role. And um, he, he, he sort of, <laughs> surprisingly, but he sees this, um, uh, and I say surprisingly because he sort of uses philosophy to sort of uh, 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 count yeah. of Sam Harris. Now, when we it's interesting about Sam Harris, what you said there, without going into the whole issue that Sam Harris right. is proposing about science being able to generate moral uh, codes and so on, which I think is extremely dubious. But we've been here before with utilitarianism, with uh, Jeremy Bentham and J.S. Mill, the idea that you know uh, w- w- a moral cause of action is that which maximizes human happiness or maximizes right. human pleasure or comfort and so on, and and that, that, that's purely philosophical. But it's kind of connected very much, I think, with the idea of Sam Harris. But you have this kind of autonomous moral realm without any reference to God or object of morality or the transcendent, which, of course, breaks down very easily. As soon as you start prodding it, it kind of shatters because, you know, how, how do you decide these, you know, if suicide is moral or not or abortion is right or not? That right and wrong doesn't exist in an atheist universe. Right. And really, it's not objective. And Sam Harris uh, is an atheist. He, he's very, very clear on that. Right. And so, so basically, you know, and it also it also skips questions about okay when we speak about the human the well being of human beings. Okay, what is a human? Well, yes. Uh, and what, what is, is well being? Well, how do we define well being? <laughs> right, right. Mm. And and that and from there we can speak about the well being of a human being. Right. Mm. Um, there's a difference between uh, all of this. We can we can apply traditional theology to sort of dissect um, when we speak about you know. Um, uh, that science that speaks about well-being. Well, the science speaks about the the how doesn't speak the why. Right. It doesn't address the why of things. It, it, it addresses the how of things. You yeah. know. So, so for example, so for example, so a, a physician can 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 tell from an X-ray that a person has a certain ailment, right? Yeah. But the requirement, you know, for a human being to go to a physician that is not determined by the physician, hmm. right? You know, if somebody if, if somebody feels sick, right, do they have to? Because that's a moral judgment. Do they have to go to a doctor right? before the doctor says this is an ailment or it's not? You know, mm-hmm. it's that type of ailment or not. But what what makes a person obliged to go to a doctor in the first place? Mm-hmm. Right? So, in, in, as a slight side issue, because I, I know a couple of doctors right. here in London, when it comes. <laughs> to um, uh, GPs, doctors, in terms of moral behavior of their patients, that they will not and refuse on principle now, doctors, in being prescriptive. So if, if a doctor, if a patient was to say, well, should I sleep around or not? Or should I be promiscuous or not? Or should I be monogamous and so on? A doctor will refuse to answer that. They'll just talk mm-hmm. about the medical implications of certain forms of behavior, if they even right. do that. So it's not like Sam Harris's uh, paradigm here at the cutting edge of medical ethics is being applied. It's not actually doctors are withdrawing. So I hear from any kind of normative um, uh, 
morality when it comes to human behavior and to a very minimalist well will, will this course of action cause you pain through disease but they won't talk about the deeper wholesome normative way of living as a as a flourishing human being in families and the virtues of families and monogamy and fidelity whoa they won't go anywhere near that so it seems like medicine is not living up to this uh, uh idea and but that, that's where it really matters where people are actually involved right exactly exactly so th this is this is an, an example of of how epistemology can um can be applied in 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 addressing some of the you know this is a, a an atheistic sort of ethical yeah. uh, ethical challenge. Exactly. Um, general ontology, for example, can also be you know where where there are questions um, you know about um, you know the beginning of the world or why there is existence you know why why there is existence rather than rather than nothing this is something that is addressed in you know general metaphysics and special metaphysics both of them exactly. um, as wittgenstein once allegedly said you know, why is there something rather than nothing you know right. there's a question of ontology which of course scientists don't deal with they they deal with you know what is observable and, and quantifiable they're not asking metaphysical questions at all but philosophy does that theology does that and these are valid questions of course but but i notice a lot of atheists will say you can't ask these questions uh bertrand russell famously refused the atheist uh mathematician refused to engage this question he says not interested i'm not going to ask that question the why question it just is and i'm thinking that's not good enough. Well, what, why, are, if we are scientists and philosophers and mathematicians, are always asking these deeper questions, except when it comes to these issues, uh, topics which really brush closely against metaphysics and religion, then suddenly we don't ask them anymore. And I think that's a cop-out, actually. That's my view, anyway. Yeah, and, um, and you know, to resist, to ask the why question is basically to resist seeking human wisdom. Mm. You know, human wisdom is basically has ever been, you know, regardless of, you know, you know what people believe. How mm. long, you know, did human beings exist on Earth? Is it thousands or millions? But at the end of the day, you know, human wisdom is centralized around the around the why questions. Mm. Mm. Um, a, a wise man is somebody who can answer the why question of things. Right. Yeah. And, and this brings us back to what we were saying earlier about, about the, the, the modern man doesn't realize the type of knowledge that they carry. You know, they, 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 sometimes they confuse information with knowledge. Mm -hmm. that we're, we're, you know, we become, you know, just a, you know, a, um, um, you know, biolo you know we're just a, you know, biological machines that, that carry around data in their mind, in, in, you know, in, or in their brains. Mm -hmm. But these sort of fragmented pieces of data or information doesn't constitute a uh, you know a, a structure of knowledge, let alone to, you know to, to, to acquire wisdom because yeah, exactly. we're not interested in the why anymore. Right, right. So we're collectively fleeing away from wisdom in a sense. Yeah, um, that's true. Um, yeah, so. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, let me, um, uh, if we're, if we can move on to something else, if you would like. Oh, no, please right. do. Okay. So, um, Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanavi, 
um, then speaks about what what he calls the you know the guiding uh, the guiding principles, and he, he provides seven principles. One could expand on them if one would want, but this is according to him. These are the the, the seven guiding um, the seven guiding principles. Um, the first principle, he says, one's inability to understand something is no argument for its being false. Um, and let me let me go through the, all of them, and then we can return back, so we can you know, so we can um, encompass all of them, and then um, and then we can go back to any any one of them and and, and delve more deeply if you'd like. Um, and then the the so this is the first one. The second principle. It says, if a thing is rationally possible and its existence is attested by sound report, um, uh, sound report would encompass the Qur'an and, uh, and, uh, and the Sunnah, especially the, the Mutawatir. And we'll, you can speak about that later on, inshallah. It says, then it is necessary to accept its, its existence. On the other hand, if its non-existence is attested by sound report, mean, meaning something that is rationally possible, but its non-existence is attested by sound report, then it is equally necessary to accept its non-existence. And then the third principle, it says, what is rationally impossible is something totally different from what is merely improbable. The impossible is opposed to reason itself, while the improbable is opposed merely to um, habit, or you could say <coughs> laws, of, laws of nature. Um, the fourth, if a thing exists, it is not necessary that it must also be sensible and visible. Um, this is obviously related to many questions regarding the soul and the spirit and so on and so forth. Um, and then the fifth principle, um, it is not possible to prove a purely reported fact by a purely rational argument. So it is not also permissible to demand such, an, such, as, um, such as argument. Um, the sixth principle, the one before last, um, there is, he says there's some difference between a precedent and an argument. He says maybe it's justifiable to demand an argument from a man who makes an assertion, but it's not valid to demand a precedent from him. Um, and then the seventh principle, he says only four situations are rationally possible in which there can be a contradiction between a rational argument and an argument based on report. And let me just expand on this and then uh, you know we can return back to you with any questions. So basically... Um, the sacred texts are classified into two ways. Um, there is the, classific the classification, which is um, uh, what we can call collective narrations or mutawatir narrations versus ahad narrations, solitary narrations. Um, so this is about the establishing of the narration in and of itself, regardless of what is being narrated, meaning regardless of what, what and how and what the narration says and how it can be inferred. Um, but the fact that this has been narrated in and of itself. So this is one type of classification. So we have two, mutawatir and, uh, and ahad, and then the mutawatir, which is the this collective narration um, or what you can call collective testimony. Um, this, is, uh, this provides certainty. It's a, it's a conclusive, conclusive proof. Meanwhile, the solitary narration, it can be used an, as an evidence, but it is of a, of a lower degree um, because it provides pro high probability. It doesn't, it doesn't provide certainty. On the other hand, when we come to the sacred texts in regards of what they imply, what they indicate, either that their meaning is indicated by certainty. It's a, it's a conclusive text. It doesn't allow any other meanings to be deduced or inferred from it. 
and and that and that what we call in Arabic qat'i dilala. So it's 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 uh, it provides certainty in terms of its indication um, or if its implied meaning, versus a text that can be inferred in different ways. So it has different implications and says or implicated meanings, and this we can call it vanni ad dilala. So yeah. they usually have these four, you know, four category, you know, these four categories, um, because when you multiply the two by two, you get, you know, you know, get four, where you have either it is, um, um, it is conclusive in terms of narration, but uh, and it also conclusive in terms of meaning, or it's conclusive in terms of narration, but it is, um, it is lonely in terms of the, uh, in terms of the meaning, or the other way around for the solitary narration, which is. Um, which is one needs it's it uh, has a high probability in terms of its establishment as a as a as a as a as a narrated as a narrated text, but the meaning can be conclusive, or the meaning can also be um, can also be vanni. So we have four categories. So mm. now Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanavi, under that principle, he speaks about um, he speaks about the contradiction. Um, Basically, between what is qat'i, what is of certainty, and what is vanni of of what is of a, a, a of a probability or a high probability, and this sort of law, or you could say the, the and the and its subsections or subdivisions, um, or the, the 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 rules that are stated under it, as much as it can be applied in terms of treating conflicts or seemingly conflicting texts. It can be also be used, you know, um, to treat or to address um, uh, or seem seemingly um, uh, contradictions between religion and science, for example, um, where we where you have a text from the Quran and Sunnah versus a science theory versus a science fact versus versus a science yeah. hypothesis okay. and how you treat each of these can you, can you give an, an actual example of how that might operate in practice yeah sure so i mean we we can um you know let me let me start with uh, w w with the with the obvious ones so um um you know the fact that the earth is is um, uh, is not flat, and that the Earth is round. Uh, um, uh, and I begin with this because this is a this would be an, an obvious example. So you find Imam Razi, where he provides what he calls as conclusive observations mm. regarding the uh, <clears throat> that the Earth is round, and he speaks about this in his Tafsir of Surat Al Kahf. Where it is mentioned that the um, um, that the sun um, falls down into ain um, meaning a um, um, uh, like a uh, an eye of, of, of a, a, a melting or a, a fiery eye. Um, so um, Imam Razi says this cannot be understood. Um, 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 literally, this is a figurative meaning, and he says it must be understood as figurative, and it cannot be understood as literal. Now, the verse. Let's look at this. This is a verse from the Quran, so it is established conclusively, <clears throat> all right, in terms of narration. But in terms of meaning, Imam Al Razi, he says now the meaning 
if we take it literally, it contradicts mm. a scientific fact. Uh, because it's a conclusive observation that is observed by the senses. Um, and he says, okay, so therefore, the meaning that contradicts the scientific fact should not be adhered to. So he moves from the literal meaning to the figurative meaning because of that contradiction. Uh, if, if the literal meaning is, is, is adhered to or is, um, or is taken in this regard. Um, so um, Imam al-Razi, for example, and, and, and he's a, a lengthy discussion. Um, and it's a very important traditional example of how a traditional scholar addresses a verse from the Qur'an that if taken literally would contradict a scientific fact. This is not a, a, not a, um, not a type of a multiverse theory. Right? Um, so the traditional scholars, they realize the difference between a fact and a theory let alone a hypothesis that now people, people now you, you know, they use the word theory in a much broader sense that would include a, 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 a hypothesis. A theory fundamentally was something that, 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 has, been, um, that has been established by a, uh, by a scientific proof, but it also can be, um, uh, can be falsified um, um, by a scientific proof as well. So, and there's a, this is another issue where there's a confusion between a fact and a theory and a hypothesis and um, a big, you know, relates to the philosophy of, of, of science. Um, so this is, this, is an, uh, this is an example of just a, a very obvious, clear example of, of where, where there is a contradiction between a science fact with a verse from the Quran. Now, obviously, what we realize here is that to, up, to apply this law one would really need to have a solid understanding of both sides. On one hand, has to have a solid understanding of the of of, of the Quranic exegesis and 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 the and and the language of the Quran to determine what can be understood literally and figurative and can go back and forth. On one hand, and on the other hand, must have a solid understanding of science where he can actually determine the difference between a fact and a theory. Um, and therefore, when the contradiction happens, they are able to judge um, whether to make a ta'wil of the verse and to treat it as figurative because it opposes, and there's no way where we can do a reconciliation, it opposes a scientific fact, versus when it merely opposes a scientific, um, a scientific theory. Hmm. Um, and, and just a side note here, you know, there was a, a challenge that, especially in the in the arab world um maybe two decades ago um there was a great hype of speaking about the the scientific miracles of the of the quran yeah and this unfortunately led afterwards to a um uh, uh to an opposite effect of 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 uh, you know um opposite to what it aimed for Many of the many of the many of the Arab youth, and this is something that 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 I have witnessed firsthand. Um, they, uh, uh, how would I say this? They were, you know, they were they were tested, I guess, in their in their belief because of these. When they when they started to to double check, and then you know they found that many of these sort of uh, you know scientific claims, some of them were not accurate scientifically. 
and uh, some of them were falsified afterwards, um, and so on and so forth. So mm. for them, you know, the verses were trained were were understood through the you know through the signs. So when the signs falsified the meaning, some of these youth they said, okay, so it falsified the verse because those people, those individuals were speaking to, you know, and they, and they had TV shows and programs speaking about al-ijaz al-ilmi, the scientific miracle, the miracles of the Qur'an. So it had a, a backfire because mm. they tried to interpret the Qur'an through, the, through scientific theories. Um, and theories, they fundamentally can be falsified. Um, so that's a, that's, a, that's a marginal issue. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's the example of, of Imam Razi. Um, I don't know if it, it's, it is sufficient. No, it, it, it is to, to establish the uh, point about uh, how, how one interprets uh, the, the Quran. And I think your point about the, uh, the scientific miracles of the Quran, often it was, it was overdone, that they were alleged examples which were really not really in the Quran at all. They were imposed on the, on the text. But also that there are, I think the danger is it goes the other extreme and right. see nothing remarkable in the Quran. And I think there are remarkable phenomena in the Quran. Um, some of my personal favorites are, you know, the idea that uh, the teaching that every, you know, all living things come from water, for example, is a remarkable um, statement, which is obviously scientifically true. Uh, and, and there are a number of others as well. But I think the, the argument was overdone and exaggerated. Uh, and, and that led to it being discredited in some people's eyes. And then the whole thing was thrown out. But I think that there's a more balanced perspective here to recognize there are actually some extraordinary statements in the Quran. I've just mentioned one. There are, there are others. Right. Correct. Correct. A hundred percent agree. Um, <clears throat> um, and, and there are there are also other examples, um, you know, within the in the Sunnah. Um, you know, the Hadith where the Prophet ﷺ says that if a fly falls into um, a uh, water or a liquid or a cup, um, then one ought to, you know, push it further down and then takes it takes it away or pulls it out, because one uh, one wing of it uh, has the ailment or the disease or the uh, death, and the other has the has the uh, has the cure or the healing. For many years, many Muslim preachers uh, preached this type of hadith, this hadith or, or similar hadith to be taken literally. Uh, um, meanwhile, you know, this is something, by the way, to examine the wing or of a, of a fly, whether it does include this or that is something that is, one could say, one could make the argument that is something that is attainable through modern science right? to examine the, the wings of the, of the fly. L let me give you another example of a hadith of um, um, uh, where the Prophet ﷺ directed um, those who had a particular ailment to drink from the, the urine of the, of the, of the camels. Um, now, there was a certain you could say a certain movement, a certain uh, approach that was taken by some brothers and sisters um, that 
provided only provided to the to the masses that there's only one way to understand these ahadith um, and sometimes they try to you know to use the science to prove the hadith now if we were to apply maulana ashraf ali tahanavi's approach first of all he would say look number one this hadith is a solitary narration so it is not something that is foundational in the deen. This is number one. It is a solitary narration. Mm-mm. Number two, there's, a, there's an ignorance of the different approaches within the tradition towards these ahadith. So you find, for example, Ibn Battal, who is one of the Maliki scholar, one of the first authors of, 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 of the commentary tradition upon Sahih al-Bukhari. The very first um, uh, complete Commentary on Sahih Bukhari by Ibn Battal al-Maliki, <clears throat> where he, when he speaks about this hadith of a dubab or the fly falling into the you know the one's water or something like, that, he he says that there are different ways of understanding the hadith, and he he says it could be a matter of disgust and the Prophet ﷺ, because of the you know their the the water is scarce and so on and so forth, he doesn't mm-hmm. want them to throw the water away, mm-hmm. so it, it's like a being phobic, right? So you want to 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 so he's using that approach to counter the phobia. And to drink the water, right? So when it falls into the cup of water and then you you immerse it even deeper and then, you know, you take it out and then you drink from the water, you sort of, you get over the the, 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 the disgust. Regardless of this particular issue, this is not, you know, this is not our subject matter, but the, the point here, Ibn Battal, who is one of the very early commentators, and this is before modern science, before the empirical science, before modernity, before all of this, he treated this hadith as vanni. It has different implications, different indications that one could, uh, what could infer. And there is no one conclusive meaning of the hadith. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't have the uh, dogmatic approach. Only when, some, when, when, when the Muslim ummah, in a sense, was tested by, on one hand, modernity, and on the other hand, particular <coughs> movement, that emerged that treated everything that is of religious concern to be qat'i, yeah, to be conclusive, right? I, I don't know if I could just uh, there's a book I, I recommend. <clears throat> excuse me. In in this regard, uh, Mr. Koshi Mohammed, the challenge and choices of interpretation legacy by Professor Jonathan A. C. Brown, and he discussed mm. this very hadith, hadith of the and and the whole issue of how. People have interpreted the more rationalist interpretations and so on. Uh, the issue of hadith and how we grade them. All, all this, uh, he, he, the reason I like this, he's very honest. He's not trying to spin a line to try and explain away anything difficult. He, he faces the issue head on. He looks at the various options, interpretive options, uh, and leaves the reader largely to conclude what they will. So, but, but if you want an introduction to this issue, because the, 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 some of these hadith have caused problems for some people's mm-hmm. beliefs. In particular, in the last century or so, with right. the rise of the West, particularly the West, bearing down on the Muslim world and criticizing it. Um, so it, there's, there's, a, there's a larger political, social context to these hadith becoming problematic for some people as well. It's not just right. a purely intellectual question, I think. Right. Um, and, mm. uh, you know, like the hadith of the, you know, the, 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 the uh, the Prophet ﷺ, where he directs to, you know, directs a group to drink from the urine of the of the camels. You know, Imam Abu Hanifa, and <laughs> this is 12 centuries ago. Imam Abu Hanifa, or, or more, Imam Abu Hanifa says, you know, this is 
um, this hadith is an exception. Urine is uh, is najis. This is a you know is it, it it's not um, you know unclean or dirty or uh, religiously filthy in a sense that yeah. it basically contradicts any 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 sort of spiritual purification. So so he says this is an exception from the Prophet to that particular group, and it should not be taken as a general advice whatsoever. And he takes a very firm stance. This is obvious again. This is you know <laughs> way pre modernity. Um, because you know, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned the you know the, this this notion of extremes because this is what 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 is what we're now suffering from is that either you find people try to explain the dean according to modernity, versus on the other hand, people are um, um, uh, uh, trying to present a one view of the tradition to sort of like standardize the tradition yeah. <laughs> which and standardization is actually <laughs> is also a ramification of 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 modern you know this is this is very true <laughs> your point is, is really really important that the issues are at the ambiguity in the islamic tradition and the plurality of views uh, right. is very marked in the classical islamic tradition but there is a tendency mm -hmm. as you say to try and simplify and um, homogenize uh, the tradition into reduce. one particular, yeah, well, we reduce it to one view, which goes again. One of the glories of the Islamic tradition historically was that it was open to uh, exploration and thinking and plurality. So, uh, yeah, this is a real you, you've hit a, a nail on the head there, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you can find examples. I mean, we, 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 you know, when we speak about the you know, the, the especially you know, prophetic medicine, um, I think prophetic medicine, the study, the the the. A, a, a rigorous study of prophetic medicine in a, in a traditional way um, that encompasses not only the study of the prophetic medicine, but it encompasses a theological and philosophical background that is rooted in the tradition mm -hmm. can really help one when they come to address not only the, 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 you know, the, the modern challenges in a, in a greater scope, but also the whole concept of, or the whole topic of 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 the war, as they would call it, between science and uh, and and religion, because many of these issues, there are principles that one could, could one could drive. Uh, if if time allows, I want to give two quick examples. Oh yes, okay. Let me um, just uh, go back to the correct screen. Uh, where we are? There we go. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm, I will not use the slides. Just uh, these oh, are okay. not included in the slides. I apologize. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So the, uh, there's two quick examples. Um, one, you know, the um, the the hadith that is regarding the pollinization of the of the of the palm trees, right? Um, where the Prophet ﷺ, you know, passed through a a, a group of of companions who were um, uh, pollinizing the you know the you know the the palm trees, and then the Prophet ﷺ told them, "لا أظن هذا ينفع." Um, or I, I don't think I, I do not think that this would benefit. Um, so they stop, and then you know the the crop didn't. You know when when the time of harvest came, the crop was not was not produced as they you know as they hoped for. So when they went to the Prophet Ali um, uh, and they presented what happened to him, he said, "Antum a'lam bishu'uni dunyakum." You are more you know you're you're more aware of the. Of the matters of your of your dunya, you know, of your life. 
this hadith has been, you know, a a a, a battlefield in a sense between traditionalists and uh, you could say Muslim modernists, right? Mm. Um, now, some of the traditionalists. Now, this is the this is the issue. Some of the traditionalists, they just like to take the very opposite, very extreme view of the modernists. Right? Um, meanwhile, there's a there's a middle path within the tradition. So you find, for for example, um, you know, Amir Abdul Qadir Jazairi in his interpretation, he says the Prophet was was giving a spiritual counsel. He saw that those companions didn't have enough reliance upon Allah. Didn't have they were relying upon the means, not on the creator, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when he told them, I do not believe that this would benefit, meaning that the real benefit, the real one who benefits is Allah. Not your acts, not the means that you're, that you're, that you're, that you're taking to achieve a certain goal. So don't rely on the means, but rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Take the means, but rely on Allah. So when they did not get the advice, and they, you know, they, they, under, they misunderstood it, and they, they thought that the Prophet is telling them, don't, you know, don't have any, you know, don't seek the means whatsoever. So he told them, Antum a'lam bishu'uni dunya, you, you are more aware of your own dunya. And he called it your own dunya. So sort of to distance himself, yeah. you know, from, um, from their approach. Um, so this is a traditional understanding of the hadith in comparison to a modernist who would say, you know, religion has no view regarding, you know, has nothing to say whatsoever about nature. Or, you know, a, a, um, a traditional, uh, another extreme traditional approach, which is, again, it, it is part of tradition. I don't say it's not. But, you know, the, the, you know c c dealing with that sort of approach as if it's the only one where, you know, they take also the response of the, you know, the, the, the words of the Prophet ﷺ and the response of the companions and the whole story, they take it in a very, in a very, literal, uh, a very literal sense as well. Mm -hmm. um, um, uh, the the other issue I wanted to mention is the you know how the relationship between honey, for example, and treatment. You find Imam Al Maqrizi, who's a historian, right? But he has a book on the on the virtues uh, of of bees, and he's a student of Ibn Khaldun, and Ibn Khaldun was a theologian, and he did a did a summary of Imam Fakhruddin Al Razi's Al Muhassal, um, which is a comparative philosophy and theology work. So Al-Maqrizi says that many of the prophet, many of the councils in, in prophetic medicine, um, they have spiritual requirements for these councils to actually have an effect. Um, this is, you know, this is something, for example, by, by Al-Maqrizi is usually also ignored, um, and uh, uh, and in, when they are ignored, they cause a great confusion by people as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a, 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 a have you uh, are we concluding or do you have a, a further s a set of slides to? No, um, the slides are. Okay. Um, yeah, we're done with the slides. That's okay. Very much. Well, um, I think um, uh, just just finally, so I'll ask you. Sure. In terms of uh, people going away from this and, and reading, investigating this further, what kind of <clears throat> excuse me resources, websites, courses, books. Uh, in English, uh, preferably, but in Arabic too, uh, would you recommend people to investigate further, do you think? Um, I think there are... Um, uh, let me give a, 
okay so my answer to this question will not is not really uh, uh structured i'll try as much as possible to sort of segment the answer um um so Taba foundation for example yeah this is uh, let me begin with advanced right so Taba foundation for example they have uh, under Taba research which which is a department of Taba foundation um they have they recently um launched um the, the project called the classification of sciences Right. And under the classification of sciences, there are a number of um, uh, there are a number of of papers. This is uh, uh, um, uh, supervised by Dr. Karim Al-Ham and uh, Habib Ali Al-Jifri, um, and uh, there are papers by Dr. Karim himself, by um, my dear friend Sheikh Hassan Spiker, um, uh, by uh, Sheikh Mustafa Steyer. Um, uh, Sheikh Hassan, particularly if I would point one paper out out of the out of the three, would be you know Sheikh Hassan Spiker's work, um, yeah. things as they are, um, yeah. which is about the the, the concept uh, in in Arabic known as mafum nafs al amr. I've had the pleasure of interviewing Hassan Spiker, Sheikh, uh, on that very book actually. Which uh, uh, so there's actually a blogging theology video on that. Mashallah, Mashallah, great. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, things as they are is 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 I would say very 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 important, um, mm-hmm. and and also Sheikh Hassan has another work on um, um, uh, on Kant. I can't I can't recall the the title now. I think is also important. Um, I, it's just out of issue. I can grab it, but I, I won't. But no, it, it is Hassan Spike. If you just Hassan Spiker, Google it. Kant. Right. Uh, right. It, it's it's available uh, on Amazon, for example. Right, exactly. Um, so these are these are some of the recommendations I would say for um, for the advanced. Endorse those recommendations, by the way, for what yeah. it's worth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So these are recommendations I would say for uh, you know for the um, for the the more the, the, the more advanced. Uh, you definitely. know, uh, definitely yeah. involved. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, answer to modernism. The book itself, though, the translation it could be a little bit. Um, tough, not, not tough in the sense it's difficult to read, but uh, you know the the accuracy of the translation. But uh, you know there are two, maybe three translations that are floating out to the book Al Intibahat Al Mufida by Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanavi. And um, um, you know folks could also use the you know use the course uh, that I you know that I uh, delivered before with Seeker's Guidance, uh, um, titled "Answer to Modernism." So they can you know they can read the book and also follow along with the you know the course, and that is available in English. These are two things that I you know that that I have in mind. There is something else. I, I will put a link to some of these things in the description below. I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this later, but uh, absolutely. Sure. Um, so, and, and there's also in relation to um, answer to modernism. There's also Islam to the um, to the modern mind. Oh, um, yeah. who's, who's that by? Um, this is by uh, Maulana Muhammad Fazlur Rahman uh, Ansari. Um, these were lectures that he delivered in South Africa um, between 1970 and 19. Um, uh, 1972. Um, subhanallah, I got to meet his grandson who <laughs> was visiting Egypt, and uh, um, I, I, I got to meet him. Um, uh, so I, I can I can recommend this with um, with answer to modernism uh, by Maulana Ashraf Ali Tahanavi. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, fantastic. Um, for what it's worth, I'll I'll just recommend some books as well. Um, sure. In the same way you have done with the most advanced, difficult first. So. <laughs> Uh, mm. This one, an old favorite of mine, the Quran and the mm. secular mind, a philosophy mm. of 
done by Dr. Shabit Akhtar, who's a, uh, a philosopher at Oxford University. He's been on Blogging Theology several times. Uh, this is actually on Abdul Hakim Murad's recommended reading list, otherwise known as okay. Tim Winter, also from Cambridge. Um, and he recommends this in his advanced section. It is advanced, but it's certainly there's lots, there's many, many jewels in this. So I recommend that. Um, intermediate or easy to intermediate really is misquoting Muhammad. Um, mm. Some of the chapters are quite uh, intellectually engaging, particularly hermeneutics, how we interpret sacred scripture in the light of the challenges mm. that the world throws at us. And last but not least is this book by Hamza Zoltzis, The Divine Reality, God, mm. Islam, and the Miracle of Atheism. This is a new edition. Um, it touches on some academic and philosophical uh, subjects, some of which you've discussed, but it's certainly for more popular audience, uh, more more general audience, I think. There are many, many more one could recommend, but those three, I, I think, are rather rather juicy, when I say so. Um, right, right. So, <clears throat> so yeah. um, well, I, um, I think uh, maybe that's a good place to conclude. And just want to thank you again, uh, Sheikh Ahmed, uh, for your time, your expertise, and all that you have said. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. So thank you very much indeed. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for, for hosting me. I'm uh, truly honored and blessed. Alhamdulillah. Well, we're honored to have you as a host. So thank you very much indeed. Until next time. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.